Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, the future of it's in its second season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that mean the most to you, the Future of Podcast promises to give you insight to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to the Future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found, and connect with us at atb.com slash thefutureof. It's my birthday. Tomorrow's your birthday. Well, when the episode lands. When we're recording, my birthday is... Later this week. Later this week, yeah. But uh, I'm going to bring it up because it's my birthday. Happy birthday, my love. Thank you. Are we going to give away the number or do you want to keep it a secret? Nope, that is for me to know and other people to only speculate at. (laughs) That is for you to know and for other people to not know. How gray is my hair? Not very. How wrinkly is my face? Oh, not at all. There you go. So, uh... Guess accordingly, (laughs) I guess is where I'm going with that. A little birthday shout out to myself because I am an egoist. Not really. Not really, no. (laughs) Not really. Not really. I wouldn't have married you if you were an egoist. Mostly I'm uh, vamping for a little bit of time because this is going to be an incredibly short episode if we don't (laughs) draw it out a little bit. All right. I have cleverly named my notes. You've got, we haven't gotten to that part yet. Okay. We haven't done the recap. Okay, fine. Nope. Nita's already jumping ahead. Because As- I'm keen. Assuming that because this chapter was two words long, that somehow we're just going to break format. But that is not the case, because before <laughs> Anita tells us what she's titled her notes, we, of course, have to recap chapter 26, in which Nick furiously storms back to town, has a little angry... <laughs> all over the place, thinks about all of the ways that he's been mistreated by his so-called friend, and then all at once decides, I should probably go back and help her, and does just that, possibly to his doom. And that brings us to chapter 27 of Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. That was a beautifully succinct recap. You're well, welcome. Well done, honey. Thank you. Now is the appropriate time (laughs) to tell us the the title of your notes. Okay. I have cleverly titled my notes this week, Dark and Quiet. There you go. Ah? Yeah. Ah? Pretty short Very clever. Uh, I don't recall if this is the shortest chapter we've had. Ever? It might be. It's certainly up there. Because we've had other epically short chapters in previous reads or uh, brief interludes or what have you. But this this is definitely like top three short yeah. chapters, if not the here's, shortest. Here's the embarrassing thing. I believe last episode I said that our this chapter was like one sentence or three words, and I was wrong on both of those counts. Well, because we like you kind of glanced at the page. Yeah. We didn't read ahead. We purposefully held off reading this 
until the prep for this episode. So we read two words and then went and sat down technically, and made some notes. Technically, it is two sentences and also two words. There you go, yeah. Two one-word sentences. Yes. Pretty, so, again, pretty short. Yeah. Um, one thing that kind of struck me, interestingly, was that it reminded me of Nick's memories of the terrorist attack, weirdly. Oh, I never made that connection, but you're right. It's not exact, but no, no, no. but I, I drew that connection to it. The, it gives it a sort of a similar feeling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. 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 I wonder if that means something. Hard to say. Do you think Nick is dead? I have no idea. This chapter, while very profound isn't the right word for it. I don't know. It's surprisingly strong chapter because it is only two words. And those two words are silence and darkness. So you get, based on the the whole hullabaloo that we just read about, it it's such a, such an extreme 180, right? We went from all of this noise and commotion and light and spells and magic and violence and screaming to absolutely dead nothing. And it answers zero questions. Correct. And there's two chapters left. Yes. So hopefully next chapter and the chapter after will will give us some of those answers. I'm not sure Nick is dead. And here's why. I'm not sure Nick is dead either. Um and it's entirely doylist logic. It is me looking at the meta of the fiction and not what's within the fiction. Um I'm down. Hit me. The entire novel thus far has been from Nick's point of view. Mm-hmm. This chapter is also from Nick's point of view. Mm-hmm. And it is silence and darkness, but it is him consciously aware of silence and darkness, which to me indicates some semblance of life. If he was actually dead and the book was only from his point of view, the story would be done. Yes. Like that, the, him him being totally spent in Johnny casting that final spell would have been the end of the story. There would be nothing else. Or we'd get an epilogue in somebody else's perspective. But we're still in Nick's perspective in this moment. And that, to me, indicates some semblance of life. Some semblance of life in an occult horror comedy can mean a lot of different things, it is worth noting. Yes. But the consciousness that is Nick, to me, still exists in some capacity. Yes. And... The fact that there is another chapter and then an epilogue, I think, leans into your theory. It would be weird to change perspectives in the final chapter of the book. Yes. But there's a difference between a final chapter and an epilogue. Yeah, yeah. An epilogue in a different perspective is one thing. But a final chapter, right? that's... If I were to turn the page and see the words epilogue, I'd be like, oh, oh, I think maybe Nick died. Yeah. (laughs) It's possible that Nick died. Yeah. It's also not unheard of for a book to do a crazy 180 in the middle at the end. But usually there's an established convention and usually and it would be jarring for the last chapter to be from say Johnny's perspective. Yes. It would not be as jarring for the epilogue to be from her perspective cuz an epilogue and a prologue are kind of removed from the main story in a way. Your brain is keyed to go, okay, the epilogue can be from someone else's perspective. Yeah, that's why they're not numbered chapters. That's why they're called an epilogue. But if we followed Nick for 27 chapters and then for one chapter it's someone else, that would be a bit of a jarring narrative shift. Yes. In this particular book because of this particular story, a jarring shift actually wouldn't seem all that out of place to me. I'm just saying. 
here's the thing that was kind of hanging over last chapter. It's still weighing on my mind. I don't know that Nick went back of his own free will. And that will continue to weigh on your mind because... That's the way the, the story is presenting it. Yes. Yeah. And the, the thing that really seals it for me is Johnny's complete lack of surprise that he was there. She knew he was going to come back. But did there was she... no doubt in her mind that he was going to come back. No. She might have been worried that he might not make it back in time. Maybe. But I think that she knew he was going to be back. But did she know he was going to come back because he was magically compelled to? Or did she know he was going to come back because Nick is a good person and she knows him and she knows he will come back? Because in this case, it's the world-saving and right thing to do. So it still doesn't answer the question. No, it's very vague. Here's a little thread going back through the novel, though. And I, I pointed it out last chapter as well. Johnny's play, her regular play when Nick gets mad at her, is to get quiet, admit fault, not quite apologize necessarily, but definitely like mea culpa, and then kind of shift the subject. And Nick's mind tends to slide off the problem then. And like very soon they're back to being chums and he's back to being on her side. And I'm wondering if that's part of the magic. Because all through the book, that every time he's gotten angry at her, that's been what's happened. She's admitted a little bit of fault to to calm him down, deflected, and then Nick forgets about it. Or just lets it go. Or just, it looks like he's letting it go because it's his friend. But I'm legit now wondering if it's the magic of the bind between them. That's Maybe. constant. That's constantly making him go, you know what? It's not so bad. It's, it's yeah, okay. yeah, your family almost died. Your life is in shambles and your house is destroyed. But it's not so bad. She's your friend. You kind of love her. Right, you still got Johnny. Right? She's your friend. She's here for you. Yeah, and that's why, like, their entire relationship now is suspect to me. Oh, and all me of too. Nick's all of Nick's uh, interactions with her are now suspect to me. Like, it's completely cut the legs out of their relationship in a way that I find really juicy. Like, I'm not going to lie. I like that. I think that's that throwing everything we knew about their dynamic and the power dynamic between them into question this late in the book recontextualizes everything and it's real gross for nick but real juicy as a reader (laughs) oh yeah here's the thing though based on how much book is left and just just how juicy that is Mm -hmm. i don't know if we'll ever get an answer i mean there are two more books in this series i've pointed that out a couple times i know that doesn't mean anything i don't know what's in those books I also found it interesting that Johnny effectively fulfills Nick's prophecy about her and his expectation of her in that last chapter. He, all book, was like, you know what? She would she would maybe feel a twinge of guilt, but she would walk over my corpse if it meant that she could save the world. And sure enough, the second he's like, you can, you can spend me on the spell, she doesn't even hesitate. Just reaches out and takes it. Yep. He's she does, right. She does, ex- because he does know her well enough yep. to know exactly what she would have done. And she fulfills that entirely. Yeah. And it is because Johnny is a user. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. It, oh, yeah. You look back through this whole book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She used the Ancient Ones. She used the Sorati Society. And she may have just used Nick entirely up. Maybe. And this ties in with her motivation as well. Because her motivation is she wants to be the girl who saved the world. She wants to be the one who got a fast one over on the Ancient Ones. Her motivation is not to help the world. Her motivation is to be the person who helped the world. Yes. And that those are very distinct things. Yes. So yeah, she's she's a user. Here's something I 
don't understand about Johnny, though. Hmm. She wants to be the person that saved the world, but she doesn't want the world to know about that. Oh, yes, for sure she does. The world does know about that. She doesn't want the world to know about this because she is directly responsible for it, and that would tarnish her image. That's one of the reasons she hates being in the public eye. She hates being resented. She does like being in the public eye. She does want to be the great hero. She hates being resented for it. And that's the reason she wanted her magical friend who will always be there for her. Someone who could pat her on the back and tell her, you've done good. You're special. You're the hero. And people just don't appreciate it. That's why she wanted that person. Huh. She does want to be the hero. She does want the adulation. But she knew, she knew, because she is a girl and she is young, that people would resent her for it. And sure enough, people do. Ah, so the horrible loophole is that Nick resents her for it. Well, this is, I'm, I'm going to get to that because that's part of the trajectory of the narrative here. Yes. Um, it also, I'm, just, just a little aside, this also explains her push for wanting Nick to get secondary education. It wasn't for his betterment. It's because she wanted her magical friend to be brought up to her intellectual level. To really appreciate how smart she really was and how amazing she really was. It was, in hindsight, that was a super selfish desire of hers. Oh, Johnny is so broken. Um, She's so broken. The problem is friendship can't be a one-way street. No. And the last few days while they've been on the run, the mask has slipped. Johnny was able to, by... Not necessarily intentionally keeping Nick at arm's length, but having a more long-distance relationship because she's constantly on the go. She's constantly inventing things. They have time together, and she regularly calls to catch up, I think partly to recharge her batteries, <laughs> to, to take from him. Her, as her ego batteries? Yeah, to, to take from him. Um, but they haven't been together in a stressful situation in close proximity in a long time, not since they were little kids. And now that Nick is more mature and is more self-aware, this whole crisis and learning truths about Johnny that she's been keeping from his, him as well, which shows that she has been lying with him for years since they were very little children, the mask has slipped and he's begun to see that this friendship has always been a one-way street, going from him to her. Yeah. And that is what's caused him to grow resentful of it. And why he's been falling out of out of love with her. And why I think ancient powers were able to so easily incept him with the idea, you'd probably just kill her. Because they were they were preying on that resentment that was already building up. Because yeah. he's recognizing that this is poison. What's happening to him is poison. Yes. And it's destroying that him. This friendship is in fact bad and false and not particularly healthy. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> like that's the politest way I can put it. Not particularly healthy. It is not. It is a very toxic relationship. And unfortunately, Nick is magically stuck in it. Uh, At least for now. I mean, it's possible that when Johnny drained him of all of his magic, she also undid that that binding. Maybe. (laughs) Which, I mean, would be the best possible situation for Nick is that he barely survives and is also now no longer under a magical compulsion. If you're under a magical compulsion for most of your life up to this point... What happens when you're suddenly freed of it? You don't have to follow the compulsion. Yeah, but now what do you do with your life? Go and be free. Yeah, but he doesn't go, know what that feels like. He doesn't know your... what that looks like. He wouldn't know what to do. He'd probably stand in the middle of the room and be confused for an afternoon. No, nonsense. He would immediately go back to his family, first and foremost, to make sure that they're safe. He would sever ties with Johnny. 
and never speak to her again. Mm. And then he'd probably go and finally have a life. He'd be able to make friends, real friends. He'd be able to have a relationship, a real relationship. Would he know how to do that? No, not at first. That's but there's I mean. only one way to learn. Like this, this toxic friendship has been so toxic that, like, that it's been drawing everything in like a black hole. Yeah, that Nick doesn't have any of those social skills that you think one would need at his age. Well, and here's here's the other thing that this magical compulsion draws me back to. Um, and this is something I didn't mention before. The The ancient ones mentioned that they uh, arranged things so that Nick would be the one that she chose. It's heavily implied that she was hoping to have a sister who would be her bestie. They didn't want that because I think blood is thicker than water. Yeah. And it would be harder to poison a friendship between siblings or a relationship between siblings than it is to poison a relationship between just two people. Two people from very different backgrounds. Yeah, that makes sense. But that also implies that maybe the ancient ones had a hand in breaking up Johnny's parents' marriage. Maybe. Um, to it ensure would... that there would be that there would never be a sibling. Makes sense. It also makes me wonder if they've been meddling in Nick's family life. If the the like nature purposely of purposely keeping him down? Well, basically, yeah. He's not just linked to Johnny, but it's been implied that it's been keeping people away. And that might explain why his father left, why his mother has such a terrible relationship with him. Maybe. That could be a part of that. It's just pushing everyone out so that he only has room in his life for Johnny. Well, how does that explain his siblings, it explains, though? He has a good relationship with his younger siblings. But they're really young. Well, okay. And, I mean, he's separated from them now because they're going to go with his mom if anything goes on. That also makes me wonder if that's why he has such a poisoned relationship with Rutger. Because, instinctually, Rutger just didn't like him. And he doesn't like Rutger in return. And it's because Rutger is the next closest person to Johnny. And that could just be, again, the nature of the magic at work. Like, the revelation of what's going on with Nick casts a shadow over everything that came before. Oh, it it really does. Which I I had mentioned at the top of the episode. But, like, every relationship he has is now underscored by that. Yeah, you have to step back and look at absolutely everything and be like, okay, was this tainted by this magic? And are his decisions tainted by that magic? Like, again, he turns on a dime in the previous chapter and goes from, I hate her, I'm never going to see her again, if this is the end of the world, I'm going to find my family, I'm going to die with them in my arms, to, I should probably go back and help her. should probably go back and try and save the world. Yeah. He justifies it as trying to save the world, because it is the world. Yeah. Which is a kind of a big deal, which to me throws enough dispersion on it. To, I, I, I think, genuinely don't know if he's magically compelled to go back or because it's such a big deal. It's the world we're talking about if he's going back because there's something inside him that's like you have to try and save the world. But that is why the writing is really smart. It is. I because, agree. Because we don't know. Everything is now tainted yes. by the knowledge that he is magically compelled to be friends with Johnny and to have her back. And so we can't assume that he's acting rationally. No. We can assume that even if his train of thought led him to a logical decision, that that train of thought was being driven by magic. It, it could be. It could be. Yeah. You're right. It's very good writing because we genuinely don't know. And I like it. I like the ambiguity. <laughs> Which is why I'm not sure we'll ever get an answer. We might not. Because the ambiguity is is good writing. Mm. Right? I, I think it is. Anyway, I agree with you then. Anyway, th- th- that's all the notes that I had for this chapter. And- the previous chapter again we kind of put a pin in a couple things so that we could fill up this chapter a little bit more because it was mostly a relationship pin yeah so because 
yeah, now we have a lot of open space to talk about everything that just happened. Because this is the beat before we find out what happened. What happened. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, it's an open space. It's a big empty page <laughs> for us to fill it all up with all the relationship things. Ironically. And story things that we haven't been able to talk about yet. Here's the irony. I think that that actually makes the format of our podcast a good way to have read that chapter. Because uh-huh. if you were just reading the book normally, you would that would have barely been a breather. You would have read those two words and carried on to the next chapter. We actually have a week yeah. where we get to digest that. And I think that that makes it a more effective like beat in the in the narrative. Even as someone who would be reading right through it and carrying on, it's still a very effective beat. Oh, yeah. It's definitely showing you that there's a pause there. Yeah. Like this the, is the a universe... clear stopgap right here. Did we save the world or not? Holding your breath sort of moment. Right. You get to that chapter, you read those two words, and you're like, huh, okay, big things. What happened? Ah, keep going. Uh, so with that said, I guess we're we're kind of done for this chapter. Yep. We'll uh, put a pin in our own podcast for a beat. <laughs> and uh, you'll want to read up on chapter 28, yes. the penultimate chapter. Technically the ultimate chapter, because the one after is the epilogue. Well, doesn't, doesn't an epilogue still count as a chapter, there's, even if it's not a numbered chapter? There's debate. All right. Um... But you'll want to read chapter 28 in time for next week. and uh, <laughs> It is either the penultimate or the ultimate chapter. Depending on your opinion on yeah. if an epilogue counts. Whichever you like. Yeah. In the meantime, we've had Edmonton Community Foundation ads for the last several episodes as our second ad in the podcast. And this week, I'm very happy to say that has not changed. <laughs> Here they are again. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Onkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the WellEndowedPodcast.com. Well Endowed Podcast, you know I joke, but the truth is, we would not be here without their support. We are very grateful for their support, and we are very happy to plug the Well Endowed Podcast all the time. Yes. Because it's also a very good podcast. Yeah. Uh, For underscore for an Edmontonian. (laughs) I mean, or an Albertan, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, much more useful to us. But uh, as we've said before, there's likely organizations in your own community that do something similar. So if you don't live in Edmonton, do seek those out if you want to find a way to give back to your community. Absolutely. Uh, while you're seeking things out, you can also seek out albertapodcastnetwork.com. That's our network website. You can find all of the affiliated podcasts there. If you find one you like, you can download it on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, that's probably where you're getting our podcast. You should maybe give us a little rating and a review. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it's so nice. Nice. So nice, we would consider giving you a shout out on social media if you told us you did that thing. Oh, that's a good idea. Everybody likes a shout out, right? So, your social media choices uh, also have not changed. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Pretty easy to find. You can also reach us via email. Indeed, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. There will be so many more words in the next chapter. It'll be great.
Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>